Yeah. Morning, everyone. Uh, <clears throat> so, this morning's lecture is going to be about the rise and fall of bimetallism. Uh, Professor. Thank you, Sandy. Uh, this uh, lecture is found in the handout. It is, in fact, chapter 2, and then we'll continue on with chapter 2. Now, chapter 2 we have started early on in this course, and I just remind you to put this into context. We talked about the two types of marketability. Marketability in the large, that's what Menger studied in connection with the origin of money. And then the second one is the marketability in the small. And we became interested in, and in fact, we split the original concept of marketability of Menger into two types. This one, the marketability in the small, is interesting because this comes in when you inquire about the origin of interest. And we emphasize the parallel story. Uh, both problems, marketability in the large and marketability in the small, uh, give rise to a search. The first one, the search for the commodity, monetary commodity, with the highest marketability in the large. And as we explained during a we don't know how long, may have been several thousand years, goes back to uh, a time when writing was not yet invented. The search for the uh, <coughs> monetary commodity with the highest marketability in the large ended with finding gold. At this property marketability in the large, in the highest degree. This is very well described in Menger. But parallel to that, there was another search, searching for the monetary commodity which had the highest marketability in the small because that is the commodity which can be hoarded and is hoarded the greatest ease or smallest losses and again we are talking about thousands of years uh, of search, which ended up with finding silver as the 
second money, second metal, which came into play and this is very interesting because this explains the duality of money which existed even before even before gold and silver came to the fore we mentioned some examples ancient Greece in, uh, this is uh, very clear from the Homeric eposes, the Iliad and the Odyssea, that uh, cattle or sometimes sheep played the role of commodity with the highest marketability in the large and grain, highest marketability in the small. And there have been many others. Salt in particular was, was uh, a very good example. During Roman times, this is clear from the English word salary. What uh, the soldiers got and other in, well even today the coal salary is the remuneration <coughs> but that comes from the Latin word salt so originally salt was um, commodity with very high marketability in the small. <coughs> but ultimately it all ended up in the two metals, two precious metals, gold and silver. And peculiarly this survived until the, towards the end of the 19th century in the form of bimetallism. Now, how it came to be that they actually fixed the bimetallic ratio and they lived with it over for, for hundreds of years is not clear. Because I'm sure there was no fixed ratio between grain and cattle. So originally this fixity of the ratio of the two monetary commodities uh, was not there and didn't have to be there. The system worked quite well with a variable ratio. Now, of course, Grain and cattle look very different, not just look, but are very different type of commodities. And uh, on the other hand, gold and silver are very similar. They are both metals, 
have uh, similar properties. And this might have been the reason why the ratio got fixed. And or, or perhaps, and that's also a very plausible assumption, uh, it just happened that the ratio was pretty constant. And when uh, people, especially governments, found that this ratio by nature, they thought, was very stable, they said, well, then let's make a law that it has to be stable. You see, and then all the banks and financial institutions have to follow this. But this was a mistake. We don't know who made it, but some, at some point uh, the ratio got fixed and this introduced a, a very great potential instability. And now the history, so uh, what is bimetallism? Bimetallism is a monetary system with two monetary metals, gold and silver, with a fixed uh, exchange ratio between the two. And this uh, is the bimetallic ratio, which is fixed by law. And now we know it's, it was a mistake, so let's see the rest of the story. Uh, that's why I said the rise and the fall of the bimetal, of bimetallism of this monetary system, which is based on two metals. And we now know why two metals. You see, this is, um, if you just study the monetary history, uh, history of money, they talk about bimetallic, bimetallism, but they don't explain why this came into use and why the previous monetary systems also had this duality, two types of commodities. We go one step further here because we introduced the two types of marketability in the large, which is also called saleability, and the, in the small, which we call hoardability. And, uh, and I think this is logical, and it's a step forward. We understand much better the history of money if we take this into account. And we, we all, to, to manger the idea, we introduce, of course, the two prices, asked and bidden, what we have here is a spread, and the spread becomes smaller, which means losses are minimized if you use the monetary metals, gold and silver. So this, a very similar process, a 
explains why gold and silver have this uh, stocks to flock, uh, stocks to flows ratio the highest. We mentioned that uh, the stocks above the ground stocks of gold is a high multiple of the annual flows, which means the output of the gold mines. So in other words, to accumulate as much gold as we presently have in the world above ground, not counting the ore reserves of the mines, we are talking about gold which is already mined, refined, put it into bullion form, gold coin form. So this stock is about eight, it corresponds about 80 years of production. Well, there are different numbers and the actual number is not significant for our purposes. The interesting thing is that all these numbers give you a high multiple of the annual flows at present rate of production. So just imagine it would take 80 years to double the existing gold stocks. On the other hand, if you <coughs> Uh, look at something like copper. By the way, copper also had some history, some connection to money in, in history. But that's just by the way. If you look at copper, you find that the stocks to flow ratio is a small fraction, which is very interesting. It is probably, say, three months, which is one quarter of a year. And uh, we can go one step further and <coughs> explain the reason for that huge discrepancy between the monetary metals and the non-monetary metals. The reason is declining marginal utility. It's not our job to dis discuss that concept. Uh, a very important concept, again introduced by Menger. Uh, but just as well to refresh our memories, let's say that much, that declining marginal utility means that the next unit of that com of any commodity will be less valuable to each individual because its needs for it have been satisfied by the previous and at each stage you have the remaining needs 
are relatively smaller, so actually uh, the value declines. Value is not intrinsic in the commodity itself. Value is in the eyes of the beholder, to quote a proverb, and uh, the outcome is declining marginal utility. So when you list all the commodities, you can rank them according to the rate of decline in the marginal utility. And again, this is a kind of search for the commodity which has the, the smallest rate of decline. There's no point in asking for the largest rate because that's not very interesting. But obviously, perishable goods or goods which, uh, uh, like newspaper, uh, have a topical uh, interest would serve as an example. Much more interesting is the question, what is the commodity with the rate of decline in majority the smallest? And that's, of course, gold and silver, the monetary metals. And uh, in fact, what happens here is that this rate of decline is uh, actually ultimately getting so small that for practical purposes it can be ignored. And one might say that the marginal productivity of gold and to uh, a large extent also silver are constant. Are constant. Now this concept has been challenged by Mises and his circle. And uh, they say that marginal utility, constant marginal utility, is a contradiction in terms. And it is a contradiction in terms because uh, it suggests infinite value, which is contradictory, you see? Now, this is very interesting because Mises uh, went wrong in making that statement. And he went wrong because he ignored or forgot about the very thing we are studying here and which he could have related to the same question. And that thing is the origin of interest. Because what interest means, and that's in the case of the monetary metals, gold, uh, but also to silver to some extent, but let's just talk about gold, is going to reduce this infinite uh, value because the, well, once you have interest, then you limit 
to the extent of the existence of interest, you limit the demand. So that what Mises called contradiction, the infinite value of gold, is actually counterbalanced with the existence of interest. Because if you want to acquire gold, you have to pay interest. So that will cut down the infinite demand and infinite value and the interest can be considered as, as a limiting factor. So uh, this, oh, one more thing I'd like to add. The to the concept of marginal utility in general. Uh, because uh, in, in general, I found that the statement of, of uh, the marginal utility is one-sided. It leaves out another uh, aspect of it. So when I am asked to define marginal utility of some commodity, I do the same thing what we did here several times. We take all the people, okay, and rank them according to the to their utility. To well, that's not the way to say. It. We rank them according to. the utility of this good, let's say copper too, it's easier to fix our ideas. So we study the marginal utility of copper and for that purpose we, we survey all the people according as they attribute a utility to copper. Uh, here the word marginal hasn't occurred yet. We are talking about utility. <coughs> and then we notice that this utility declines for everybody. Okay? Because uh, this is very common that you are buying copper, buying more and more, but after each new purchase, your need is reduced because your stockpile is increasing. So the next unit, you may, uh, you may not be prepared to pay the same price as the previous unit. You have this decline. The utility of copper to you is declining. I still haven't used the word marginal. So this is just a general feature. The utility of copper is declining to everybody. Now, but the rate at which this utility declines will be different for different people. That's very important because now 
I can say what I started to say, but then I had to uh, reformulate it. The rate at which the utility of copper is declining from one person to the next is what we use for ranking. So we list all the people, okay? we list all the people, and ask the question at what rate for each of them will the utility of copper decline? Now, let's uh, take some concrete examples. If, uh, if You are in agriculture, let's assume. Uh, perhaps you need very little copper, but you need some to make jugs, to make uh, maybe plates, and a few other things. And that's it. You can't make a plot of copper, it's too soft, and so on. So, the utility of copper for an agricultural, uh, for a peasant in agriculture is declining very fast. Because he needs very little copper. But now you go to an industrial uh, setup more developed using uh, cars and uh, other utensils or houses with electricity, then there will be a lot of copper needed because all the wirings and all the conductors of electricity will use copper. So then one might say that the, the utility of copper in a highly industrialized in, uh, and more advanced society is declining more slowly. The wider scope of applications of copper. And I still haven't used the word marginal. But now I'm going to use it, because I have ranked all the people according to the rate at which the utility of copper declines for them. Okay? And there will be a marginal user of copper. Marginal user of copper uh, is the person who will not buy any more copper if the price shows an increase. Okay? There will be a cutoff. Some people will still pay if the price goes up, uh, still, still pay it. Because the marginal utility, because the utility, because the utility of copper declining 
more slowly to them. On the other hand, there will be lots of people who are just not buying copper because it's too expensive, they can't afford it. So in this ranking we have considered, there is a person and we call him the marginal user of copper. Anybody to whom the rate of utility of copper is lower will fall to the left and these are the sub-marginal users of copper. And those to whom the rate of decline in the marginal utility in the sorry in the utility of copper declined as more slowly they will keep buying okay now this marginal person is a role it's not a fixed person and it could vary with market conditions you see and here is the thing the marginal utility of copper once money is introduced is going to be synonymous with the price of copper the unit price of copper so this is uh, the, the way I present marginal utility compare it with uh, the more common way which does not bring in this whole paraphernalia of users of copper and their how the rate of decline in the utility to them to these individuals uh, and uh, I think why I find this presentation which is in a way not necessary because in many good textbooks you find this much